Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another amazing episode of the Elements of Success podcast. I am your host, Joshua Porter with Carbon6, and I have two fantastic friends with me here today. I have Jason Hannon and Lenny Ash, the co-founders of AZ Seller Kit, and also the uh, the owners and operators of MMX Distribution. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the, beauty, the beauty of repricing, automated repricing software, and just essentially like how these two guys got started in the e-com uh, e and Amazon business. Because to me, I find that to be a really interesting topic that I don't think that they actually explore much in, uh, in conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to let these two, uh, two gentlemen introduce themselves. Jason, you can feel free to go first. Lenny, you can uh, follow up afterwards. Um, gotcha. So my name is Jason Hannon uh, with, like I said, Easy Seller Kit and MMX Distribution. Uh, we have a background from retail back from 1996. We used to own retail stores called Entertainment Outlet, and that got us into uh, the Amazon space as we were from 2001. I believe we were selling DVDs and music. Uh, obviously, DVDs and music took a left turn somewhere along the line when you couldn't sell it anymore. So we took that expertise of Amazon selling and opened an agency to help other sellers that wanted to get their product on Amazon and private label. We were kind of an agency before there was something called agencies. And we took all of that software knowledge from being on Amazon and eventually uh, opened up to the public a forward-facing version of our internal software that we used over the course of 20 years. Um, and that became AZ Seller Kit, which now we have uh, you know hundreds of sellers that are taking advantage of our software. And uh, it's something we're really proud of and something we love. Yeah, so um, I've been I've been working with Jason in this uh, retail operations from uh, around 2001. That's when I joined the team, and that's kind of when we got started on Amazon uh, back then. Also, um, my name is Lenny Ash, and um, yeah, I uh, the background, I guess, a little selling on Amazon kind of evolved over the years. It started out as a side hustle while running the retail stores and kind of evolved into uh, our primary focus in business. And like Jason mentioned, we developed an expertise in, in uh, selling on the platform. And a lot of my function and my role in, in, in the business that we've been in together all these years has been very focused on automating processes and trying to use technology to help us uh, you know, scale and grow and manage and so um, that's where the, the software and integrating with Amazon's backend kind of came into play all those years ago and the building out automations all along. And then when we started helping other brands, we happened to fall into the apparel category. Um, primarily when we started this um, agency, we didn't know what we were starting at the time, but it was just helping somebody else sell on Amazon. And um, it was in the apparel category and that kind of took on a life of its own and the implementation of technology in all of our processes wherever we could use it to help improve and work more efficiently has always been a, a core value for us and and uh yeah and then here we are today with um az seller kit on the front end and something that like i'd say we're very proud of and a lot of our <laughs> blood sweat and tears went into that uh went into developing that tool and you know all, all of our experiences kind of poured into it and it's a, it's a great journey to be on. It's a great community to be a part of the Amazon community. Um, just the sellers in the space and the other the other vendors and service providers in the space. It's such a it's such an open and welcoming community to be a part of, and uh, it's been it's been a great 
fun ride thus far. And I can personally say I've seen your journey evolve over the years, yours and Jason's over the years. And it's from when I first met uh, Lenny and Jason, I met them a couple years back. This was uh, right around the, I would say mid 2020, right at the heart of everything that was going on in the world at the time. And, and Lenny and Jason, they reached out to me and uh, I, I was a service provider at that time. I was doing uh, chatbot product launches. And uh, from that moment on, I met I met Lenny and Jason through uh, Brendan Young's Inner Circle, a fantastic group. Everybody should check it out. It's a great place to cut your teeth and learn on Amazon. But from that moment on, I kept in contact with Lenny almost on like a weekly to a monthly basis where I would just check in to see what was going on and check in to see how his business is doing. And uh, just that's how the friendship kind of grew. But before I even get into... Uh, the meat and potatoes of this conversation, you guys have had a very unique journey in the e-com environment. You guys both started off um, in brick and mortar stores. You guys were both slinging uh, DVDs and cassette tapes and, 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 and like all the, uh, all, all the legacy, legacy media products that no longer people use, uh, probably MP3 players at the time too, uh, to then building, starting on Amazon, to then building a software on your own backend, to then having that software go public and then joining the Ecom Cooperative as being founding members of that uh, of that journey. Uh, I want to know, and I'm sure the viewers want to know, how did you guys, uh, how did you two actually meet? Because in my head, I have my own kind of vision as to how you two met. Um, it was either like a pickup basketball game in New York, or you guys were both on like rival choirs for your synagogues, and you both just happened to battle it out and uh, belt out the perfect tune that managed to sync up and just bring harmony to every. Uh, every person in the synagogue at the time. Am I correct on that? Or is that just? <laughs> uh, so fun fact, we, we are, uh, we're actually family. So we, uh, Jason's my first cousin, my mother and his, uh, and his father, our brother and sister. So we, we grew up together, um, lived around the block from each other, grew up playing hockey together, grew up in school together and, uh, whatever. After, after college, we both, uh, Jason went to work in retail with his father, and um, a couple of years after I graduated, I ended up kind of working, uh, you know, joining the team and working with them. But um, yeah, where we met, there's uh, the cool origin story is uh, we're first cousins. And I'll give you one fun fact, Joshua. My my, co we both went to the same college, which was Baruch College, and I had one class left to graduate that I did not take for about two years. So when Lenny was signed up for the class that needed to that I needed, it was a group project class. I then went back to school to take my one last class so I could be in a group project with Lenny so I could actually graduate from Baruch College. So Lenny was my ticket to actually graduating college. And I think we've kind of been working together ever since. So. You know, that's the perfect origin story. It's almost suited for a Marvel movie, um, the way that it actually rolls out. So with, with that being said, you guys have literally been in business for roughly – uh, roughly almost 15 years right now, um, selling on Amazon, uh, going from brick and mortar. And you guys have had a wealth of experience that you've accumulated over those years. I would imagine that your experience has had something to do with the ability to be able to roll out your software, AZ Seller Kit, because from what you guys were telling me that the software was on the back end, pretty much behind the scenes, operating your day-to-day -day business for so many years. How has your software evolved and how have you guys evolved as sellers over the years? So the, it started, I mean, when API first became available or when they first opened that up, uh, we, 
took the opportunity to jump on it. When we were selling DVDs and games and, and um, music, you're talking about tens of thousands of SKUs and uh, managing that volume of SKUs, unless you have some type of automation or software in place, it just becomes uh, very difficult. So we, we were very into technology from, uh, from already from the retail stores. We had a point of sale system that we used to run the three retail stores and the wholesale division. And uh, so when we saw an opportunity to start using Amazon's API to potentially start, you know, automating some tasks or integrating with Amazon's backend to make, I don't know, shipment. We were part of the pilot program of FBA. So, you know, we were kind of just dabbling in this from day one and just using it to really analyze data and make buying decisions. When you're in DVDs, I mean, that's, you're just replenishing, watching run rates, looking at um, you know, what's selling at what rates. The breadth of the catalog is so huge that it's just a question of catching the gaps, you know, catching where you're going to sh fall short in terms of inventory. So kind of writing out uh, inventory management and, uh, you know, sales reports and things like that is, kind of, is where it started. And um, when we got involved in, in 2015, we got involved in uh, our first, uh, you know, account that was not ours, that we were helping someone else, uh, and it was in the apparel category. When we got involved with that, it opened up a whole new side of challenges in terms of managing apparel. You know, when you're selling a DVD or any other hard goods on Amazon, it's one SKU. Your listing is one SKU. That's your ASIN is the SKU, and that's all you have to worry about. But when you get into clothing, you're dealing with variations, colors, and sizes. One listing can have uh, 150 ASINs attached to it. So it opened up a whole new area of challenges, which uh, which we kind of took in stride and have been uh, trying to, you know, write programs and software to help us do the data analysis that we needed to get done, so that we can accurately stock inventory, accurately replenish, accurately price our products, you know. And that's uh, and AZ Silicon as a repricer kind of came as a um, as an offshoot from that because. The challenge of running an apparel account is inventory management. If you have small, medium, large, and extra large, and the medium and the large sell better in the apparel world, at least uh, you know not the e-com world, the apparel retail world, which is where uh, where we were buying from, so to speak. The the merchandise, the inventory, the way the list was coming from, you know, importers who sell to brick and mortar, and all of their inventory is in assorted case packs: small, medium, large, extra large. 4884 makes 24 in a case. Four, four of one size, eight and eight and four. So the medium and the large sell out and you're left with smalls, what do you do? You know, what levers can you pull to try and control the velocity of what's gonna sell and what you know what pace? And that kind of naturally evolved into pricing. And um, that's where we started dabbling in, in pricing and trying to you know write an algorithm that would help us manage our inventory using pricing as a lever. And then uh, the rest kind of, at that point, I kind of took a backseat to Jason's mind and the way he processes things. And uh, I would just kind of have conversations with Jason about what makes sense and then try and put it into a, a software or an automation form. So I know that you two have your own uh, specific styles of operating when it comes to managing your agency. And Jason is very much... Uh, not not open to the concept of software, but it was you, Lenny, that had to convince him that software was needed 
to actually make this process work, to actually grow and scale this agency. Because from, from what I remember last time, Jason, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were pretty much working yourself into the grave, trying to manage everything on spreadsheets. And it just didn't seem to work out. And Lenny was just the, uh, the, the voice in your back of your head saying like, this is the ultimate solution to actually get what needs to get done. And then you had all the ideas of how to actually grow and expand this business. Is that correct or am I? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's spot on. So pretty much I believe that I could do everything in my head and that my capacity for um, you know, work was unlimited and I did not want to let go of the reins to automation. And I believe that I could always uh, do it better than a potential automated system. And Lenny would always push me, especially whenever I went on vacation and he had to do my job to say, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. There has to be a better way than the way you're doing it. Um, and uh, eventually I, I succumbed and realized that, that was, uh, it was time to get to the 21st century and, uh, and allow some automations to take control. And once, uh, once me and Lenny were able to have a meeting of the minds where I was really able to see that the ideas and concepts that were in my head could be automated, it really took us to the next level. And then I think once every six months, Lenny would tell me, I really want to sell software. And I would say, this is not what we do for a living. We don't sell software. And then eventually I kind of realized that, you know, Lenny had figured this thing out really well enough so that we did have a really strong sellable product. And once we turned our ideas forward facing, we would get tons of input from other sellers and other people. And that really brought it to the next level as well, because it was something that was, you know, originally just mine and Lenny's brainchild that then became all of our accounts. Um, ideas and concepts together from different industries that really has grown into a really, uh, you know, I would say, I don't even know if there's an original idea left in the software. It's basically just, you know, uh, a, a conglomerate of a greatest hits of all the ideas that we've collected from all of the amazing accounts that we've been able to work with. Your, your AZ Seller Kit is essentially the Phil Collins uh, Legacy Edition rolled into <laughs> <laughs> rolled into into one software right there. It's got all the greatest hits. It's got Susu Studio in the air tonight, and then whatever else he made afterwards, which nobody knows. Uh, but I honestly think the real idea came from like Lenny having to do your job at the end of the day, and he's like, "Man, I don't want to have to do this. Man, this is exhausting. I already have my own work. Like, I need to really convince Jason to actually adopt this software and get in on this." So now we know how AZ Seller Kit came around, um, and this is after years of you guys putting your blood, sweat, and tears into. One, running an agency, which I imagine is not easy, but doing this at scale for uh, hundreds of sellers that have thousands upon thousands of SKUs and then being able to keep track of all of it. I would say, Jason, your mind is more like uh, the Amazon API than anything else uh, when it comes to that. But being able to take those ideas and then put those ideas, not, not from pen to paper, but from idea concept to script to active uh an active input and then seeing how this actually makes the process a lot easier that was like a breath of fresh air for both of you guys and it was one of those aha moments that you either will make or break a business so with that being said let's talk about az seller kit and what az seller kit truly focuses on because in my head a lot of people think of az seller kit as the repricer software but that's the hook you guys do so much more than just that you guys mind telling me a little bit more sure i'll let lenny take it ah. Funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, I like yeah. how you guys do this too. Yeah, this is I'll, great. I, I, I'll start off with that one. So yeah, I mean, 
like I mentioned before, when we started uh, when we started writing software, is and managing a parallel accounts and having to deal with so many different SKUs and variations and such. Uh, really analyzing the business, knowing what to reorder, managing the inventory. Those were the core. Back then, when you ran an Amazon business, those were the core functions of running an Amazon business. There was no Amazon ads. There was no marketing. So just create the listing and make sure you're in stock. Like that was that's what it meant to manage an Amazon account in uh, 2015. Um, and so in the apparel space, you're just dealing with thousands of SKUs that renew every season, uh, hundreds of variations on listings, and understanding the data and trying to see the patterns so that we can properly stock inventory, make the right decisions. That's kind of where it came from. And so the first few years we were developing it for internal use, we were really just trying to understand the data that we were you know, the sales and the sales patterns and make sure we were properly stocked, making the right business decisions. And that's what the tool really became. It became a replenishment report. It became a forecasting model. It became an inbound shipping management tool. All these different elements that you need to run your Amazon business, you know, in the pre-marketing days. That's kind of where it all started. So when I was telling Jason we should sell software all those years ago, it was like, I thought we would hit the market as a business analytics tool. Um, and that's kind of what we, when, when we did our soft launch, that's kind of how we started pitching it. And nobody seemed to care about analytics. There were other, uh, other softwares on the market that do a fantastic job at, at reporting and analytics also for uh, a fraction of what we wanted to charge uh, for our platform. And so, it's just hard to resonate with people to even give us a shot, you know, free trial, no credit card, just use it, just try. No one really cared. But once we introduced, once we re reframed AZ Seller Kit as a pricing tool, you know, it's very easy to measure ROI or at least the way we presented it. If, if you were selling an item for 30 bucks and the uh, tool repriced it to 35, that $5 Delta we consider that ROI. You spend money on the software, here's your ROI in dollars. You know, forget about all the other added value, that's the ROI. So when uh, when we had introduced that as the hello, the response was always, but I'm private label, I don't compete for the buy box. Why do I need to change my prices? And um, and there's- You compete uh, with your competition. Your competition's yeah. always, all, they're always doing something that's making them a little bit more sexy, a little bit more marketable, whether that's changing their images, changing their title, ranking for new keywords. Like the, the price point is to me, one of the most important and pivotal factors uh, when looking at a product to purchase outside of images, outside of reviews, it comes down to price. Like everything else in my mind is extraneous and it's meant to please Amazon and pat Amazon on the back and make Jeff Bezos and his magic, uh, magic computer box uh, smile. Um, so he can go do some more crunches. But what really matters is to me, in my opinion, like, is this worth the price that I'm paying for? Are the images good? And do the reviews actually resonate with me? And to me, if you can speak to my wallet, um, then you're speaking to my heart. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I imagine that's like the process that you guys had in your head too. And, and I think what, what we realized to what you're saying, which I think is super important, is what speaks to your wallet and your heart changes over time. And what you're willing to pay for a product in December during holiday season or during Mother's Day or during any of these different times changes dramatically. 
so to hold your pricing at the same level over the course of so many seasons and different you know cadences and amazon traffic is what we found to be a mistake so the ability to price items dynamically as people's heartstrings change based on the time of the year um you know twenty dollars looks very different in august than it does in december so moving that price around accordingly based on inventory levels based on demand um is really is really where we found the ability to give our customers uh, a lot of extra value you know during covid you know inventory was limited so you know you could sell product for much much higher because inventory was limited you know and now we're at a time where inventory is not as limited so you know pricing needs to come down but if you're you know if you're being able to do this with software you're going to be able to capture that sweet spot for where you have the you know the right velocity and the right price to capture um where demand actually is at a moment in time which if you're just holding your price stagnant you're really missing um a lot of what it means to be a shopper on amazon it's just it changes on a regular basis you know you're also missing on what it feel, what it's like to actually be competitive in the marketplace so if your competition mm -hmm. is actively pricing their product uh five dollars six dollars more but people are buying yours at at the same rate that they're buying theirs you could easily increase your product to five and six dollars more that you have additional profit now you're actually really uh really padding the coffers of your business but what lenny actually said was was really unique right about easy seller kit is that when i remember when you guys first did your soft launch in fact lenny you came you came to me and asked me if i knew anybody that was interested in this tool and i gave you a couple people that i could possibly i possibly knew of off the top of my head and the one thing that really stuck out stood out to me at the time when i first saw your software was the ability to actually pull in all these reports that you guys have you guys really tapped into the amazon api and jason's brain at that time to be able to actually give everybody this robust uh experience when it came to actually managing their amazon accounts but what you said really actually got people interested in the tool was your unicorn your unicorn was your pricing software that you guys built into that and that brings me to essentially my, my next point is that when that first when you first rolled that out um how did that how did that impact the amazon community then with your repricer your dynamic repricer and how is it affecting amazon sellers now with the current inflation that's going on in the united states Whew, that that i'm gonna even if lenny wants to talk i'm gonna take that one <laughs> um the so amazon is so tough because people are really afraid to raise pricing because everyone's afraid of competition but not only are costs going up from factories you also have amazon themselves increasing all of their costs so you have really no choice but to raise pricing on your items um, what has been happening is a lot of people have been coming to us with larger catalogs that say i'm afraid to just raise prices across the board on my entire catalog but i know i have to raise prices somewhere so what we're really able to do with software is pick through a you know a catalog that has a lot of items and we're able to find that maybe 50% of that catalog can afford a price increase because inflation is rampant all over the place and you won't suffer a velocity decrease um whereas other items you may not be able to increase your price like you may have hoped um but to take a blanket approach and just raise your prices by 20% on everything is something that can be, you know, dangerous and people aren't comfortable with. Um but finding that sweet spot through software where you know you have to raise prices, but 
you're just not sure if you can do it on everything, that's really where software can help, where it's going to try and, you know, increase your prices and figure out what sticks and what doesn't stick. But you really are in a tough spot now as a seller where you have to try and figure out how to make margin and not just, you know, pad uh, Amazon's pockets and Jeff Bezos's pockets and just sell and get squeezed out and not actually make money. So we're really, you know, we're all in the same boat here of trying to make money. And we've really seen that when people come to us, um, that they're surprised at how much of their catalog they can actually increase their prices on without having a negative effect on their velocity and sales rank. So it just goes to show how flexible the market actually is. And currently right now, what I'm, what I'm in, in my understanding of what's happening on Amazon is that sellers are getting this kind of short squeeze that's going on right now with the prices actively increasing on FBA consistently uh, year over the year um, with increased prices across the board. Uh, but to also how, how this actually affects the, the end user and the buyer at the end of the day. So with Lenny, um, I'll, I'll ask you this question. Um, should private label sellers actually be testing different price points? And what's like, what would you say is the safe threshold? Uh, if 20 is too high across the board, what would you say is consistent for, for product? All right. So, so in terms of, uh, in terms of the threshold, I'll let Jason speak to that. But the, the first part of your question was, should private label sellers be testing pricing? The, uh, that's, I think that's, we found that as we started trying to get our product, AZ seller get to the market. We found that as we would engage with sellers and kind of explain what we do, the, the mission really shifted to education. Uh, and, and the answer is yes, private label sellers should be testing pricing all the time. Even if we were not in an inflationary period with costs rising, uh, you should be testing pricing. If you are selling an item for uh, 20 bucks and you can sell it for 22 and everyone is just as happy to buy it because your product can support that kind of price or the market can support it. So then why would you, why should you leave that money on the table if everyone's just as happy to, to acquire your product and still use it? Uh, and it may not be the case hundred percent of the time. I mean, obviously you'll raise the price in some items and, and try and test that threshold. And you might find that you're going to, uh, your velocity will start to slow down and your sales might start to slow down. So then you lower the price back to where it was and watch it kind of rebound. As long as you're, actually watching it and doing it. I mean, software aside, right, to all those private label sellers who are um, just starting on their journey or even in year two of their journey, where you might have two, three, four listings, you don't necessarily need a software to automate pricing if you're in that category. So should you still be testing prices on your items repeatedly? Yeah, for sure. You know, don't, don't get caught in the box of, but I have no buy box competition. What pricing am I testing? Or, or caught in the box of reacting to your competitor's price. My competitor dropped his price from twenty to ten dollars, and we're selling you know very similar items. So I have to follow him down. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to follow him down. If the market is going to shift and react to his price, your sales velocity will tell you, hey, you need to lower your price. But if your sales velocity didn't dip and your market share is the same because you can tell your BSR is the same or, or, or still improving, or then why should you start lowering price just to match a competitor if, if your item can support the price that you're at or even higher prices? So that's really the, um, you know, should private label sellers be testing pricing? Yes. Just because an item sells, uh, even if you're a larger manufacturer and you're selling to all the brick and mortar stores, 
a lot of the kinds of companies that we're dealing with. Um, they might know that in, in uh, one of the major department stores, their item has a retail and the price retail for this item is $25. That's what the item sells for at a retail. So when they listed it on Amazon, they put it for the same 25 bucks. Just because it's $25 in a brick and mortar retail store doesn't mean that Amazon should be $25 also. There's that element of prime and convenience of same day shipping or two day shipping and just clicking and having it show up on your doorstep. You can probably get 26, 27, 30. I mean, so, so don't box yourself in and kind of just, you should be open to testing pricing because why leave money on the table? And that's the bottom line. Would you say that the, the software portion, uh, primarily when it comes to repricing is best suited for, uh, mid tier and, and high end Amazon sellers, kind of like yourself, like Amazon sellers that do have to deal with anywhere between 20 and 50 SKUs on a regular basis. That would be something that you guys would actively be beneficial for anybody that's less than that. They can kind of do it themselves. And the second part that I have to say to that is you mentioned a piece in regards to education. Um, when it comes to certain experts in the, in the Amazon industry, when it comes to the, the concept of uh, what they teach, uh, they would often actually rebut against the, the notion of uh, repricing your, your own product because it affects BSR. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you actually go to prove them wrong to show that when it comes to actually changing your price? Um, there's a there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. Sure. Oh, so um, so there's yeah there's a couple of uh, there's some I'm going to say some confusion on that topic, um, which is where your product is in the product life cycle. So a lot of the information that's out there is really based on launch. Um, when you're launching an item, um, you do want to hold your pricing as stable as possible and even as low as possible to try and you know, sell out and move through your product you know, with a bang and not mess with the Amazon algorithm. Even if you have to sell out, when you're launching a product, you wanna actually try and you know, go as fast as you can without experimenting. Because you're in that launch phase, you wanna rank and you wanna get your item to the top of the page and you know, get to page one. Uh, how long that period is, let's say is up with some philosophical debate, is it 90 days? Is it 120 days? Let's just say for argument's sake, six months. I don't think um, anyone will debate that after six months, you know, of an item selling, if you've been in stock, you know, for the most part, that's considered mature uh, at that point where the item has some history. Once the item now has history, um, moving pricing around, if done conservatively, is something that makes sense and will not hurt you if done properly. So uh, a lot of the software was, and the way we do repricing was built off of the fact that I have anxiety and I have a lot of anxiety as we move pricing up and just, you know, fear that these price increases are going to lead to sales velocity dips, you know, falling off page one, even falling off page two, bestseller rank drops. Um, these are things that we, you know, really try and avoid while raising price. But if you move pricing up slowly, and are moving and are tracking your velocity as you're moving price, you can make intelligent decisions as you're moving again, which is really what we do through software. But even if you're not you know, using software, we believe in very small price increment increases, 2%, 3% at most as you move over the course of time and really trying to work your way up the ladder um, so that you don't actually experience a major drop in your velocity. At the end of the day, your sales rank and your placement is not based on your retail price. 
it's based on your conversion rates and if the item is actually selling. So if your item selling for $20 or $30, the Amazon algorithm doesn't really care. Um, but you don't want to go from 20 to 30 and find out that it fell off a cliff. You might be able to support that retail, but you need to go really slowly and make sure that as you're moving up, if there's any uh, bumps along the way, that you're moving your price you know, back down quickly. We always say we go up slowly, but we bring our prices back down aggressively to make sure that there's no you know, real velocity dips. But it really is all about your velocity and conversion rates. And if you're doing that properly, you can move your, you know, your pricing up without getting hurt, which is really what everybody's trying to do and is everyone's afraid of happening. So, so with that being said, you're, you're obviously you're going by the notion moving it slow and steady will help you win the race. But if any, if you come into any kind of uh, bump in the road, then you would go back to your reset baseline. Is there any like healthy medium that you would have in between that instead of going all the way uh, this slow and steady pace that maybe have taken uh, a week or two weeks to actually get to this new standardized price point that you really want to then going all the way backpedaling and losing that time frame? Are there any kind of different pricing strategies that we could try along the way? Um, I mean, we, we, for the most part are, you know, believe in testing and retesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we're, you know, as we're moving up, you know, and we're going down quote unquote aggressively, but you know, if we made it to 24 and it starts to suffer, we're not going from 24 back to 20, you know, mm -hmm. you're trying to find that happy medium, which might actually be 22, might be 2250, might be 21. So it's not as, you know, it's not a drastic move from, you know, 20 to 25, 20 to 22. It really is incremental moves, both, you know, up and down. Just, you know, with the, the idea is that you're, you know, if something is really connecting, not to be too risky and say that I'm selling it for 22 and it's doing great. Let me try 27, um, you know, and to try and have the patience to work your way up. So as not to, you know, have any problems along the way and on the way down, you know, doesn't mean you have to just completely give up on the process. It just may mean that this, you know, this price point that you're right, that you're at right now is not supported. And, you know, maybe a competitor is now in the marketplace, got really cheap, or maybe something changed, you know, whatever it is. Um, so you got to try and work your way back down to find that sweet spot. And that's really what, you know, the software is trying to do consistently over time. And, and Lenny, I'm going to throw this question at you. When it comes to the uh, the option of your software, um, how would you say it's the best way to actually manage something like this? Because there are other softwares out there on the market that do repricing, and some are role-based and some are AI-based. Um, but I, I want to know your thoughts on this because it seems to be a pretty hot topic that's open to discussion. Yeah, so, so uh, definitely... AI is, is uh, definitely a hot topic, um, machine learning, um, you know, artificial intelligence. There's billions of, there, there's patterns in data everywhere, right? Uh, and that's kind of all the reports or business analytics that we wrote over the years to help us manage our businesses. The point of all of them was to try and find those patterns and, and learn from it so we can make the right business decisions. So when it comes to pricing, you, you can build out a model in AI uh, where your, you know, your model is as good as the data that you put in. So you can dump in, uh, you know, billions of data points in terms of uh, historical pricing and velocity and things like that. And over time, that's that's uh, the idea behind AI or machine learning. They'll read the data points and find the patterns that, that we can't compute, but 
they'll, the, the machine will find that pattern. The challenge that we've had with uh, using some of those options in the past ourselves for the accounts that we've been running is Jason's anxiety level um, has been the primary challenge. You know, the, the data and the model might predict that you should sell the item for $3 more, so raise the price now. And then you're watching your sales velocity slow down because the price went up and the model says this is right the model says based on the data and the market analysis and whatever you put in that it's right and i'm sure that in there are many cases where an ai model would work um but there's also cases where it may not i mean because you know no one can really tell the future uh you just try and look at past patterns to figure out as best as you can what the next step would be so that's kind of the crux of AI or machine learning. I, I kind of—I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I lumped them into one, into one, uh, one bucket. But uh, our pricing model is more—we're much more in control. The way we built it out, we're much more in control of the pricing decision and the pricing process. So in any model, whether using machine learning, AI, or an algorithm, your the user has to put in. Uh, parameters. You have to tell the software, don't go below this price, don't go above that price. See if you can find me the sweet spot in between. And in between that very simplified version of you know repricing, there's so much that can go into that. There's so many different options. And uh, we kind of, the way we, our algorithm evolved over time, right? Today, it's not the same algorithm that it was, you know, three years ago when we started. And uh, as we encounter more scenarios or, or come across more use cases, uh, we kind of just refine it. And the idea behind what we're trying to do is everything's explainable. It's transparent. You should be able, if you read the data yourself for your item, you should be able to predict what the repricer is going to do. So if you looked at your data and you set the parameters properly in our tool, you should expect, okay, I expect the repricer to raise the price on this item tomorrow. That's what I expect it to do. And if the velocity will support it, then it'll keep it or make it even higher. You know, it's more predictable, easier for someone to digest. But if you're running on, uh, you know, AI, you can't necessarily, you put in the mins and the maxes and set whatever other parameters they, you know, that might be built into the tool. At that point, if software behaved a certain way, uh, why did it do that? Because the model said to do that. That's what the pattern shows. Well, what does that mean for my item in this instance right now? It'll figure it out over the next few days. It might, but that anxiety level in between of just not knowing for some people running a business is, is not, um, you know, I guess Jason being one of them for sure is not, is not acceptable. I want to know what's flying. I want to know what's going to happen next. So yeah. I mean, I, I think that our, like our customer base, is really generally a seven-figure seller plus for the most part. Um, and they really have strong ideas about pricing and what they want to have happen. And it's, you know, we like to give the keys to the car to the end user. And, you know, it's a rule-based system where we're taking the rules that they have in their head that they want to do. If, you know, they could look at every SKU all day long, what would they do? And we're able to allow the user to, you know, have control over their items in a way that they can understand. 
there's you know tons of data points that we're looking at but at the end of the day when you're doing things rule-based it's the end user is in control um, we found that with ai um, it can be a again it doesn't mean that it's not going to be better in the future or that someone can't you know, necessarily figure it out but you know as it stands now that with ai there's just a little bit less control and a little bit less of an understanding of what's going to happen on you know an item level and you know if somebody's selling 100 units of an item you know in a day they tend to want to make sure they know exactly what's going to happen with their item in every scenario and you know we're fielding questions all day long of just saying you know explain to me what's happening here very good i see it went up i see it went down i want to understand and we're always able to give our client base a clear understanding of what's happening and you know if they're unhappy with what they see they know they can always make an adjustment to the rules to do what it is that they specifically want to do so i think there really is it's tough to paint a right answer that artificial intelligence can figure out for everyone we really found in our uh, in speaking to all the customers directly, everybody's ideas are a little bit different, and you know the software really allows for their individual ideas to flow through to their items, you know that they've built. And they're generally, you know, when you're seven-figure sellers plus, they generally have a really good understanding of their products and what they want to do with them. Yeah, they not only have a good understanding of their product, but the market that they're selling in. And this is the I can understand where your anxiety comes from, Jason when uh when pitch when posing this question to lenny about ai versus rule base the first thing that popped into my head when i heard of ai is that it can essentially be a black box algorithm that pretty much puts every single product under the same parameters and judges all products equally across the board without really factoring in what's actually going on whether what are your inventory levels what's your seasonality of your product what, uh, what your competition is what your bsr is and it's essentially just taking this and putting it on autopilot, which a lot of sellers, they would love that concept, but in actuality, it just seems rather dangerous. And it seems that it's, it could be extremely detrimental to your business. And then the second thought that popped into my head was Terminator. Um, AI just huh. running wild and causing just massive catastrophic damage, not only to, uh, not physically, well, it's not like we're gonna have uh, the end of the world or something like that. We're gonna have to send uh, Lenny back in time to prevent Jason <laughs> from creating AI software. Uh, but that essentially can, uh, put the brakes on your business for quite some time because you could end up re you could end up repricing yourself out of uh, out of business or overpricing yourself out of business. Um, and speaking of pricing, this is something that Lenny actually mentioned earlier was the race to the bottom when dealing with other Amazon sellers. Um, how do you actually go about combating this and educating people when you see your competition actively dropping price left and right, but you feel that your product is at a steady price point and you really don't have any uh, kind of issues actually selling at this price point, but you don't want to actually drop your, pr uh, your pricing along the way? I'm I'm a novice in this aspect when it comes to the uh, when it comes to this. You guys have been de uh, developing this tool for for 12 plus years on the back end. So you telling me the evolution of this clearly the uh, original AI that you guys had in place for Easy Seller Kit is uh, obviously a lot more mature now than it was then when you guys first initially rolled it out. But yeah, it's it seems like everything has has actively changed, and you're taking in all this additional information and seeing this as a as a pro instead of a con. Um, again, like that was just my ignorance coming into place because I don't know as much of, uh, as much as your software does, uh, uh, as, as you guys do. Um, but with that being said, it goes back to the original question that I asked you is how do you actually deal with the competition when it comes to the race to the bottom? 
um, and being able to actually combat that and then dealing with uh, foreign sellers that can actively have a better, uh, better landed costs uh, on Amazon and being able to actually compete with them. Yeah, I mean, right now it is extremely difficult because everyone's inventory positions are higher than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certain items pricing is starting to come down. Um, and then it really becomes a matter of can your listing support being at a higher price than your competitors? Do you have more reviews? Do you, know, do you have better videos? Is your listing optimized to a point where you can get a few dollars more? But at the end of the day, if you know, all things are alike and somebody else is a few dollars cheaper than you and your velocity is tanking, then you don't have much of a choice than to either sit on your inventory or to match their price. So unfortunately, other than listing, you know, optimization, some ad spend and, you know, things like that, that can try and drive traffic to your listing at a higher price. If you're in a highly competitive category and, you know, your competitors are, you know, killing prices, then you got to make a decision on how much longer you want to stay in that category and how, you know, how deep your pockets are. And if you can, you know, weather that storm until, I mean, right now we're in a storm. You know, the, the economy's, uh, you know, headed in the wrong direction. Inventory levels are high. And, you know, whoever is left, you know, in my opinion, at the end of this, you know, year, because there's going to be some things that are going to shake out, is probably going to be able to, you know, make some money again later. But this cycle, if you're in a competitive, you know, area where inventory is, you know, overstocked for your competitors, it's, uh, it's not a fun place to be. And there's not much, you know, you can do other than try and, you know, improve your listings, match pricing, and, you know, try and get to the end of this uh, little down cycle. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will agree with you on that. And uh, in regards to that storm analogy, I would say like over the last couple of years, that's what Amazon sellers have been actively feeling is uh, I would say at the uh, start of COVID uh, back in 2020 was the first band of the hurricane that we, uh, that all sellers felt. And uh, with their inability to actually get inventory checked into Amazon, then came uh, the tail end of 2020, the beginning of 2021, where everything was just kind of smoothing out, where we were in the eye of the storm, everything seemed to be calm, everything was going back to normal. Now we're dealing with increased uh, increased prices over at Amazon and then having to deal with ultra competitive niches. Um, so this is the, the, the back swing, so to speak, not to make a tennis analogy, Jason, uh, <laughs> but uh, the back swing of uh, the storm that Amazon sellers will actively be going through. So with that being said, Lenny, I wanna throw this question out to you. Why is the uh, item sales velocity the ultimately the best metric of uh, using when gauging effectiveness and any chance uh, on changing your listing over time. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the points Jason mentioned a minute ago is, uh, I mean, if you try and react to what other listings are doing, then uh, you may be leaving money on the table. At the end of the day, if your sales start to decline based on a price move that you made, or your sales start to go up based on a price move that you made, you know, if you price something down and the sales went up or you price something higher and the sales went down at the end of the day, your sales velocity is going to tell you the story of what's happening with your item. And there's not going to be anything more accurate than that. It's how many units am I selling per day? That's, that's going to be the ultimate indicator, the ultimate metric of, is this working for me or not? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that ties back into profitability. You know, uh, you might be less profitable from a margin standpoint, but uh, if you sold more units than uh, you might, equal more profit dollars, um, you know, and that's something you have to look at. But in in the uh, short term, in the short side of view, when you're looking at, you know, 
where you rank on Amazon for the search terms for the keywords, right? You want to keep your conversion rates up. You want you don't want to change any prices uh, up uh, that might affect your sales velocity and start make you uh, sneak down or trickle down in the search results because that'll start to snowball into ultimately you know losing your ranking on, a, on more even more keywords. And then your sales will slow down even further. It becomes a vicious cycle down. Yeah. So you want to catch that. And if your sales velocity, if you raise the price, but that doesn't happen. So why, uh, you know, why lower your price back down? Test it. See if it works. If you can support it. If you're still ranked where you were for all the keywords, you know, you'll find that the sales velocity ultimately will be the indicator of what direction your listing is going in. It seems based off of both of your experiences, not only running an agency, but managing the software and thousands of accounts, that when you guys say that the sales to velocity is the ultimate factor, it almost seems that um, that you're quite definite that the other factors when it comes to listing optimization, photography, description, bullet points, uh, A-plus content, none of that truly really matters. Uh, it matters to Amazon, but it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Is that like a correct assumption or am I just being completely naive when it comes to this? I think all those points that you mentioned, mm -hmm. the reason you change all of those things is to affect your sales velocity. I mean, that's sales velocity is the KPI. All those other things are the levers you might pull or push to try and affect your sales velocity. So, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, you want to push your sales up. So if you're selling 30 units a day of an item and what can I do to sell more? So you'll try, what if I change my main image? Uh, will I convert more? Uh, what if I change? Uh, what if I add A plus content? Will that help you know the traffic convert better, which will result in a higher sales velocity? What if I spend more money on advertising? That'll drive traffic to my listing, which, if my conversion rate at the very least remains consistent, will drive sales velocity. I mean, uh, every optimization that you take, you know. Do your keyword research and start to optimize your copywriting for all these different keywords. What's the goal? So that you can rank in the search results for those keywords, right? Why do you want to rank in the search results for a keyword? So that you increase your sales velocity. I mean, it all, the funnel starts on top with all those things. But at the end of the day, what you're looking at is going to be your sales velocity. And a little, a footnote to that, or I mean, it's really more than a footnote because the, the real you know goal is to be profitable yeah so as long as your profitability is moving in line with your sales velocity so it's definitely something you have to watch uh, it's definitely another metric on an account level and on an item level that you have to be keeping an eye on but as long as your profitability is going in the right direction you know and your sales velocity keeps on going up that's uh, that that's a win and all those other things that you mentioned and that one might do the ultimate goal is to bump up that number so that's kind of why we and then how do you how do you how do you factor in the outliers that are on amazon and i'm sure that we've all seen these products where it's like their images are crap they barely have any kind of description but they're kicking ass they're beating out every other person in that entire category how do you factor that in because everything that you've just mentioned which again is is uh sound reasoning on making your listing the most effective and most impactful on amazon but how do you deal with like those images that when you go to click on the main image, it's not even like a full uh, 1080p HD image or anything like that. It's like something that's 480p from from 10 years ago. And uh, I, I don't want to name any brands out there, but we know which ones uh, we're talking about. Um, 
that they're just still kicking ass on Amazon to this day and they're beating out all their competition. Is this Amazon playing favorites or how do you, how do you factor that in? I, I think those are, I think those at this point in the game, those have to be outliers. I, I don't it, I take any high volume search term and, or, or any regular item that you're looking for search at this day and age already, you'll find that most of the homepage, you know, the top of the search results is all these things that are souped up and well done. But um, you'll find the outliers, outliers that are in there. And in terms of competing against them, you have to do whatever is in your control and then just measure the results and then kind of try and track what you're doing to see if the changes that you made have a positive impact. And if they do, continue in that direction. There's kind of nothing you can do. Yeah, really, you know, and yeah, and yeah, I, I I think that what you're referencing there, Joshua, is there's that is I feel like uh, doesn't happen anymore for new items where you can list something that's awful, but there's a lot of legacy items that have been on page one forever with awful images and no bullet points and stuff like that, that it seems like Amazon's algorithm, if you're on page one and people are still buying it, then it's very tough to get knocked off. And if a customer still sees that on top of search for whatever that keyword is, because it's been there for two, three, four years, or they've been there for however long, Amazon in that sense doesn't care if you just created a listing yesterday that looks, you know, lights out better than that. Mm -hmm. Amazon knows that this item has sold 5,000 pieces over the last year. And until something else, you know, can knock that off its perch, it's going to stay there regardless of, you know, the images that are there and anything else that's there. So once you get to the top of the mountain, Amazon makes it tough to, you know, get knocked off of that, you know, the top of the mountain. And if the customer likes your item, then it's just, that's the holy grail. If, you know, you want that customer to keep buying. So if they're buying, and that's the part that we always, you know, can't necessarily always figure out. What is it about this thing that's making it convert? But, you know, that's the Amazon algorithm. If people are buying it, they're never going to knock it off page one. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. And it seems like uh, Amazon is just stripping that listing down to its bare metrics. It's sales velocity. Uh, is it converting on these keywords? And uh, what's its overall legacy and, and, and rank history? And it seems like everything's in the positive direction. So why uh, why even bother? Like uh, everything else, like you said, images, uh, images, A plus content. Uh, um, these are all these are all factors that are beneficial to Amazon, but seem to be more to appeal the end user. And if people are still willing to buy a product with shitty images, um, I don't think it really matters to Amazon at the end of the day. They're just like, hey, we're still getting paid. They're getting paid. Everybody wins. So with that being said, I do want to talk to you guys uh, about something um, that that is relatively important, right? Um, understanding the importance of profitability in your business. Uh, I'm sure you guys could speak on that in, in, in length. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, we, we spoke about sales velocities being uh, one of the primary metrics to measure, you know, all the changes that you make, you know, how's it affecting your sales velocity. But, you know, at the end of the day, the point of being in business is to make money. That's to make a profit. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of Amazon expenses that, you know, if you look at an item, it's a $20 retail, $4 FBA fee and a 15% commission. You think $20 retail means $13.50. You know, item cost me $10. Boom, I'm making $3.50. It sounds great. But there's other expenses and overhead that go into, uh, you know, running an Amazon account. The, the inbound shipping costs, the cost of returns, um, Amazon losing merchandise, Amazon finding merchandise, the whole reimbursement side of the game. 
the storage fees, the, the bumped up storage fees when it's holiday season, the long-term storage fees, if things are overstocked, you know, all those items that just don't jump out, all those expenses that don't jump out of you, those are very important to keep track of on, on a holistic level, you know, on an account level and on an item level and having insight into that kind of, you know, having insight into your profitability on, on all the layers of your business is, is ultimately going to be, yeah, if you don't, and you were bleeding and you didn't know about it, you just, in a year from now, you won't be in business. I mean, it's, it's that, uh, if you're asking how important is it, it's top of the list. I mean, that's, that's what you're trying yeah. to, that's what you're in business for. Yeah. There, there's a lot of softwares out there in the space. Well, what, what I've come to experience dealing with a lot of Amazon sellers and being in the software space myself is that a lot of Amazon sellers don't even know what their actual profit margins are. Um, they're, they're wildly um, unaware of how profitable their business actually is. They're just essentially going by the standardized KPIs and metrics. So um, you guys, I honestly think you, what you two would be beneficial at uh, doing is hosting like local, uh, local meetups where you're educating people on how to identify the profit margins within their businesses and then getting them to sign up to AZ Seller Kit. Um, but with that being said, I do want to pick your brain on some Prime Day hacks because that's literally right around the corner. And uh, I want to know what your thoughts are on how to deal with that and, and pricing strategies. Okay. Um, so Prime Day is, you know, our feeling on Prime Day is either you go, you know, go big or go home. There's so many uh, you know, sales on Amazon during that time frame. that if you want to make a splash, then you really need to make a splash to try and not make money on Prime Day, but really try and juice your ranking going forwards, where you're, you're slashing prices, reducing things, where you can really drive traffic to that listing on Prime Day and see the benefit not on Prime Day, but after Prime Day, where you kind of have some, you know, wind beneath your sales over there where you can, you know, become profitable after Prime Day. And if you're not going to go big on Prime Day, then we very often will, because there's a lot of extra traffic on Amazon, we'll actually tick up our prices on Prime Day because we know there's traffic. So if we're not going to discount it, then we'll squeeze our pricing up because we know there's going to be a lot of extra traffic. Um, and one other little hack that we've done, which works really well on Prime Day, is doing prime exclusive discounts. So mm -hmm. we'll take items that we have in our catalog. We'll actually push up the retails a little bit to have a higher retail price and then do a prime exclusive discount where it'll show as 20% off. And it might be even at the same retail price as it was before, but you're showing the Amazon customer that if you're prime, you're getting 20% off. And that tends to increase conversion rates, especially on Prime Day when people are looking for discounts. So you can basically sell the item for the same price and kind of trick the end user into believing that they're getting a discount because it's Prime Day. And it's something that we've, you know, seen really, really, you know, good success on um, during these sales. So a little bit of a, I don't know how nice it is, but it's something that definitely works. Uh, these are strategies that people will actively put in place and they'll be beneficial for their business uh, in one way or the other, whether it's slashing prices or increasing their prices on Prime Day to actually uh, uh, get the most out of it. Since Amazon is putting a lot of time, energy and effort advertising about it, it's literally become a holiday in the United States. Um, so might as well treat it as such. Um, I would imagine that this same strategy, the Prime Day strategy would be beneficial even when it comes to holiday shopping and holiday spending, especially rolling into Q4 now. 
Um, but with that being said, I, I, I definitely want to thank you guys for being on the, the podcast. We're real, we've already eclipsed an hour in this time. It seems like it's literally just been a few minutes. Um, I do have one final question about AZ Seller Kit, and then I'm going to ask some uh, additional bonus questions that are a little bit more directed. Um, when will AZ Seller Kit be worldwide? <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, the, and all the other Amazon marketplaces is definitely in the roadmap, but it's probably mm -hmm. not going to happen in uh, 2022, probably yeah, 2023. So Perfect. Other, other areas of growth that we're focusing on for now. Perfect. Any any unique features that you guys plan on rolling out within the next year? Oh. And you, you guys don't even have to say anything. You could just say yeah. not not that we're going to disclose. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you something that's super cool that we're that we don't have cleanly rolled out kind of in your profitability um, idea. So we have a financial section which gives you your settlement reports and all of your cost of goods with all the Amazon expenses associated with it. Um, so we're super close to being able to have you be able to enter in any external expenses that you have for your items, whether it be, uh, FBM shipping costs. If you want to, you know, get that, those data points in warehouse expenses, software expenses, um, you can put employee expenses into the system and really be able to get a full P and L for your business at the click of a button, which right now, uh, anyone who's on Amazon knows that it's definitely Amazon does not make it easy to understand those settlement reports and to understand profitability. So having the ability to really put in any external expenses you want, have it flow through on both an account level and an item level um, is something that is, uh, I'm going to say not super sexy as we found because people don't, you know, love getting into the nitty gritty of whether their items are profitable, mm -hmm. but I kind of have a feeling that over the next six months as everybody gets squeezed and the, uh, you know, the grass isn't always uh, super green anymore going into this little downward turn, everybody's eyes are going to be super focused on their expenses, their profitability, and where is the money. Yeah. And I think having that be um, available at the click of a button is going to be something that's going to be very, very important and very beneficial to, uh, to any Amazon seller coming down the pipe. And, and yeah, that, that is, uh, that is going to be very important, obviously looking at the line items. So, uh, bonus questions. I'm going to throw these out. Lenny, I'm going to go first with you and I'm going to ask you, uh, how has your experience as, uh, doing recreational woodworking affected your ability to actually, uh, be more efficient in, uh, being an operator of AZ seller kit outside of growing a lumberjack style beer? I don't know. I don't know if it's, uh, affected my uh, my ability I, I would say uh, I probably in my very novice and amateur woodworking projects that I take on I would say maybe I apply the same skill set in terms of trying to construct something that won't fall apart when six kids at home you know jump on and roughhouse you know make a make a nightstand that's going to withstand uh, people using it as a, as a diving board onto the bed you know just from an engineering standpoint, I would say there's probably some of the same skill sets that apply, but it's, um, no, it's, it's building and creating is something that I really have a passion for. And I get it. I thank God I get the opportunity to do it in, uh, uh, you know, for a living in terms of, uh, creating the software and, um, continuing to develop the product and, uh, as a side hobby, uh, sometimes when there's spare time to do it in, uh, you know, in the, in the physical format of actually constructing uh, a piece of furniture or something practical that we'll use around the house. 
and measure once, uh, measure twice, cut once, and mistakes yeah. are permanent when it comes to woodworking. So that's that's a beautiful answer. You know, you, all, you have to factor that into place, especially with the line of work that you do uh, as a software engineer. And Jason, uh, last question: uh, How has tennis helped you stay in top form while managing AZ Seller Kit and MMX distribution? Um, so I think if if tennis is probably similar to Amazon in the sense of if you don't work at it, you're gonna suck at it, and it's very, very tough to think that you're just going to get up in the morning, get on the tennis court and be good. If you don't put the work in, then you're just not going to succeed. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, Amazon and everything that, you know, the amount of work that it takes now to actually succeed on Amazon is, you know, it's not easy. So if you're not willing to put the work in, then just, just don't even get on the court. <laughs> that's really the uh, the way that I look at it. Yeah. Amazon's not a lazy man's sport, neither is tennis. Well, with that being said, mm -hmm. fellas, I definitely want to thank you for being on the Elements of Success uh, podcast powered by Carbon6. Uh, Lenny, thank you. Jason, thank you. Every, uh, guys that are watching this, listening to this, all their information will be below in the bio. bio. You can find them on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, if they actually uh, accept your friend request, it's rare. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can head on over to azsellerkit.com. You can uh, sign up for a trial. You can actually check them out. You can actually schedule a demo with these gentlemen. and They'll be glad to walk you through it. And if you're looking for uh, any agency level services, you can hit them up for that as well. Uh, again, this is Joshua Porter, over and out.